The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We've got a great episode of Bench with Bubba tonight. So before we get to that episode, if you can give a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help me out a ton. Just a couple minutes out of your time to give a rating and review. If you have any kind thoughts or players you'd like talked about, mention them in those reviews, and I will get to them on a future podcast with some future guests. But on tonight's show, we got Dan Richards from PitcherList.com talking about some recent MLB news, some uh, prospects going down, some coming up. We got his PHR, Predictive Home Run Stat, that uh, he's developed over there at PitcherList to talk about, and some hot and cold hitters and pitchers over the last 14 days or so. So check it all out. Welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 179 with Dan Richards of PitcherList. to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 179. Going to talk some recent fantasy baseball news tonight. A cool new uh, metric for fantasy baseball and baseball in general, the PHR metric, and some recent hot and cold performers over the last couple weeks in baseball. In order to do so, I have a special guest. You can find his work over at PitcherList.com. He's on Twitter, at DRichardsPL. Dan Richards, how you doing, man? I'm good, Bubba. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just another Wednesday night. Uh, you know, baseball's my passion. Golf's my second uh, favorite thing in the Open tomorrow. So it's a, it's a good time right now. A lot of fun stuff going on. And I'm looking forward to it. But, but I appreciate you uh, being able to join me tonight. It'd be fun to talk about some things with you. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, let's drop into it real quick with some recent news. I dropped like a half hour ago, maybe to an hour. Twitter's still kind of half on fire right now over it. But Chris Paddock gets optioned down to single A, to the minors, we'll just say. Single A, you kind of saw it coming because you knew they were going to have to limit his innings one way or another. This way they can monitor him, if not throw him at all. He'll be back up eventually. If you're a Chris Paddock owner, what are you doing with him right now? I think it depends on the league that you're in. I think, like, if you're in a – uh, a league with playoffs, then you got to hold him because he could come back up and by September be like one of the best pitchers and win you a week in the playoffs. But, you know, if it's if it's Roto or um, something like that, you may want to just deal him. I don't know. Maybe somebody would be looking to buy low because he hasn't even been that good recently. And um, we all knew this might happen. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Is the last like three or four starts, it hasn't been pretty I, – I, with my daily DFS show, I do Monday through Friday. Like the start of the year was okay, but he didn't go deep in games, so he didn't really do much for you. Then he had like that four or five start stretch where he's going seven or eight innings, which is filthy. And then like the last three or four again, he's been kind of getting hit around a little bit. Some tougher competitors, but he's been getting hit around a bit. Maybe this will be a good chance to kind of get a breather. Like you said, you can't drop him, but it's one of those he should only be down for a little while. It shouldn't be a ton. But if you need something now, like you said with Roto, you know, you, you thought maybe they'd play him out and then just stop pitching them and say, you know, mid-August or so, and then you just drop them. 
Now the scenario's changed a bit, so you'll have to kind of see how it goes. Let's go to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is a shame because I was about to take the L on Corey Seager this year. He's been playing great, really, really good. And then Corey Seager does Corey Seager things, and an injury occurs yet again. And it's a grade two hamstring strain, and this is bad. It's kind of what George Springer's been having right now. It's not your typical, you know, two weeks, he'll be back deal. This could be like a month plus, depending on how it heals. Any thoughts on Corey Seager right now? Yeah, I mean, you said it. Like, it sucks. I have him in a lot of spots, and he's been really good recently. I even bought low on him because he was bad, and I figured he'd be better and was just bad because of injury. And then that's exactly what happened. He started elevating and hitting the ball really hard. And now, yeah, that four- to six-week timetable really, really stings. Um, So stick him in your IL slot. There's really not much else you can do about it. Yeah, not much else you can do, so... Keep an eye on that. Hopefully, he'll uh, he'll be back sooner than later, but it's not a pretty one for sure. Um, Justin Upton, been out the entire season. Some people draft him and held him. Some picked him up and, you know, fab the last few weeks. He's scheduled to come back this weekend. Are you uh, – do you have any, you know, thoughts on Upton? Like, do you think we'll get the Justin Upton of old, or is it just kind of one of those, if you, if you got him, great. If not, so be it. I think, yeah, I mean, I had him as a bit of a sleeper coming into the season because everybody was really down on him. And in NFBC drafts before the injury, he was going like outside of the top 100. Um, and this is a guy that perennially hits about 30 home runs or more, so you can just bank on it. Um, with an okay batting average, like not going to kill you. Um, he hits the ball incredibly hard. He's pretty much always at the top of the stack has leaderboards. So, you know, I don't think that, I think, what was it, like a toe injury? Like, I don't that's not the kind of injury that strikes me as something that would sap his power upon his return, like a hand injury or some lower body injury that it's fluky. So, you know, if, if you can like buy low on him, I mean, I traded like a middle enclosure for him in one league last week. And then all of a sudden he started revamping, getting back into some minor league games. So I feel really good about that. And if you can still pick him up or trade for him, like I totally would. Yeah. I'm with you there. We, we know what uh, Justin Upton can do. He's one of the most, consistently underappreciated draft time players, I think, in baseball. It's like he's so boring to people, but he continually puts up, like, around 30 home runs, gets you around 100 RBIs, you know, 80 to 100 runs, hits for a good average. He just does everything you want to do, but he's not flashy. So people just kind of ignore him. Well, you're going to get him back for about half the season, so maybe you get 15-plus homers out of him and some good average and, pop, and uh, run production. So, yeah, if he's out there, go find a way to get him. I wouldn't hate that at all with a lot of the other options that are being uh, acquired these days. Go give him a shot. Uh, Jared Eikhoff, Philadelphia Phillies, is going to the bullpen. He started out really good this year. The first four or five starts were pretty good. And then it's been four earned runs or more in all but one start in his last six starts. It's been bad. Um, I'm assuming I know the answer here, but I'm going to ask you, if you're a Jared Eikhoff owner and you still have him for some reason, are you just cutting ties and calling it good? Yeah, I. <laughs> you were right. You knew the answer. I think you, you cut bait. Uh the guy's throwing like an 89 mile an hour fastball with no life on it. So it's not totally shocking that it's getting smacked. Um, I, you know, I don't think he's earning that rotation spot back. Even if Nick Pavetta flounders, they might give the spot to Vince Velasquez or something. So I don't know what value Eikhoff really has outside of really deep leagues. Um, it was fun while it lasted, but I think it's time to kick into the curb. Yeah. I remember he was a, Big early season acquisition and then just kind of went flat on its face. So another guy that people are really high on this year, and it seems like everyone's high on Kevin Gossman going into every season because the pedigree, quote-unquote, has always been there. The production year in and year out rarely is. He'll have those couple good starts here and there, but overall not good. And he has just been getting shelled his last few starts. And after his last start, after two and a third innings against Pittsburgh, he suddenly goes on the DL with plantar fasciitis. I guess he might have it. It is a real... I've heard it used many times, usually in like football players and running backs, not pitchers, but um, it is an option. Kevin Gossman, because, you know, I, I've heard this name a lot. And again, I, I think I know your answer, but I want, I'm curious because some people out here like still want to hang on to him because they believe the pedigree compared to maybe options on the waiver wire. What are you doing with Kevin Gossman? Depends on your league, right? Like if you're in a super deep league or an NL only league, like maybe he's worth holding on to. I don't play in those types of leagues for the most part. And so I haven't even owned him at any point in this season. I just don't think he's very good. You know, he throws hard and um, he throws a splitter, which is an incredibly inconsistent pitch. And so in some instances, he's going to be great when he has feel for it. And in others, he's 
going to be terrible. And, you know, there's just really no way of knowing. It's like Tanaka, but even worse, um, because he, he's just not as good as Tanaka. Um, and then even in spite of that, he might not, he might lose his rotation spot, you know, because Keiko's coming. So um, if he, this, this aisle stint might just be some time to let him clear his mind and get his head right. And, and he might come back in the pen or they might trade him or something. I don't really know, but there might not even be room for him to start when he returns. Yeah, I'm with you there. It might, uh, might be a little crowded in that Atlanta rotation as, as you'd expect. So be really interesting to see how that one all comes to be. But uh, I'd cut, for me, I'm cutting ties with them unless, like you said, it's a really, really deep league and you're kind of, I guess, desperate. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's kind of what comes to mind with Kevin Gossman these days. He's just so tilting. And I've been there before. I've been on the bandwagon saying this is the time. It hasn't been the time. So I really don't know what it's going to be. Let's talk about a couple of prospects that have been called up or are close to being called up. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Yamamoto of the Miami Marlins. He was one of the pieces in the Christian Yellick deal. You know, I, I don't remember it 110 like, percent of when it happened, but I could be wrong and correct me. He was one of the pieces, but wasn't really talked about a lot. It felt like they were talking about everybody else, not really Yamamoto a ton. But the weird thing reading up on Yamamoto today is he almost made the starting rotation out of spring. You know, everyone's happy with all the young starting pitchers Miami brought up. Yamamoto almost made it, but instead of triple A, they put him to double A because they thought he'd be more like productive and, and develop more down there. He's been very good this year. He pitched well in double A for them last year. So far, so good through like three innings against the Cardinals. Any thoughts on Yamamoto? This could just be a, a simple like couple starts because Urania is hurt, or you never know with the Marlins team that has nothing to lose. He could stick. So, what are your thoughts on Yamamoto if you if you have any? Because he's he's so so young and new. Yeah, I I don't know how he was acquired um, or whether people were quiet on it. I'd never heard of him so uh, up until today. So I did a little research and. Generally, he was very, very good last year in the minor leagues um, between high A and double A. Um, you know, it's it's always great when you see a pitching prospect with a caper nine over 10, let alone even near 12 in certain instances. Um, that's great. Uh, but those were in shorter capacities, 11 innings, 17 innings. So generally, he's hovering around like 10.5 caper nine in the minors, which is very good. Um, this year, he hasn't been as good with a 3.6 ERA and an 8.82 caper nine. Generally, what I'm looking for when I'm looking at pitching prospects in the minors is, you know, does he have swing and miss stuff? Uh, how many pitches does he have? Stuff like that. And, um, you know, he's never faced AAA competition. He's never faced MLB competition. Um, my, my guess is that they want to manipulate his service time, given that they have nothing to play for. So they're probably, like you said, just going to give him a start while Urania is rehabbing and then send him back down. I mean, I'm I'm not saying there's nothing there. Like some of the some of the stats look pretty good in the minors, but I don't know. I just don't think he's going to last very long. Yeah. And that's my thing is I don't think there's a lot, lot of like lasting time there, but Uranus hurt, Kim Smith's hurt. It'd be interesting to see what the Marlins do. Like, they have nothing. They have no reason to not manipulate his time. Like you said, they, they, they're not going anywhere. They need these young guys to eventually put it all together at one point in time. And they can't really waste their years now. As bad as it sounds and as true to as the system is, that's what it is. So we're, we're, we're stuck with that. I'm just curious uh, if, if he does stick around, um, it might be worth it. You know, pitching in Miami has its upsides. Pitching in some of those other NL East ballparks, not so much. So it kind of could be like a streamer thing here and there. But I'm really curious to hear what the guys on your site, because uh, I know Nick will probably break them down for tomorrow's deal. See what he sees with him. Because he's way, you guys are all way more knowledgeable about pitching than I am. So, yeah, he's in right now. He's he's gone four innings already without giving up a run, which is pretty good against the Cardinals. So, yeah. I mean, look, you never know. Like, if the talent's yeah. there, maybe he just sticks. But I, I'm not super convinced that the Marlins are giving up on Jose Urania already. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Uh, a couple other ones. Mitch Keller got the call tonight. He's getting shelled, giving up four and already hitting in third against Atlanta. His his MLB innings have been very bad. His minor league innings have been very good. Top pitching prospect for the Pirates. Everyone was excited to grab him in Fab again uh, this last week or two. What are your thoughts on Mitch Keller? Because this is one of those, I know it takes time for certain pitchers to develop, but he seemed to have that pedigree where he should be able to at least be pretty good when he showed up, and it's been pretty bad. Yeah, I don't I don't want to judge too harshly off of two major league starts, but um, I will say that in looking at his numbers, he's – he had a 9.8 K per nine in AAA last year, which is very good. Um, but about an eight K per nine in eight innings pitched in AA. Um, and 
you know, that makes you wonder if he's not striking out at that many guys in double a, maybe he shouldn't have been brought up further. Maybe he shouldn't be in the major leagues right now. You know, I, the competition's obviously a lot worse down there. And so um, you can't really expect someone like, I feel like expectations are really high with him because of his prospect pedigree and he has four pitches and that's all great. Um, And 18 strikeouts in his last two starts in the minor leagues. But, you know, if he wasn't really excelling against minor league competition, then how good is he going to be when he comes up? So maybe expectations need to meet reality a little bit and he could be good. He could be very good, but I think he might need a little more time. I would definitely add him and stash him, but I, you know, if I were a Mitch Keller owner, I wouldn't have been starting him tonight anyway. So. And I think that's a great point. There's, I wouldn't have been starting him tonight. Like I was recommending everybody that, reads my DFS stuff and listens to it, play the Braves today. Like, I, there's just – until he proves me otherwise, he, he's living too much in the zone, and he's been very hittable so far. But I'm with you. The, the, the pedigree's there. Like you said, everything was really good. It's just one of those – he might need a little more time, like you said. Uh, last but not least, Dylan Cease, one of the White Sox top pitching prospects. Every rumor, every beat reporter, everything is pointing that he's going to be up soon, much sooner than later. And I know that's very bad reporting – because you can always say it could happen as soon as tomorrow. But this looks like it's actually going to happen. Um, do you have any insights on Dylan Cease? Because he's going to be a popular ad this week in Fab if he isn't already. Yeah, so unlike Yamamoto and Keller, like the White Sox are actually playing for something. And so it's possible that Cease does get called up, uh, like you said. Um, and he hasn't had like an incredible year in AAA this year. He's got a 410 ERA, a 144 whip. 22 walks and 59 strikeouts over 52 and, a th- and two thirds is actually pretty good. Um, it's just not showing up in the ratios, but like he, unlike the other two guys, he has really nasty stuff and it's showing up in his minor league numbers and in, in one in 52 innings pitched in double a in one season, he had a 38.6% strikeout rate, which is like what Chris sale does in the major leagues. So he's generally been between like 26%, 36%, depending on the step he's been in the minors and, to me, that makes him a more exciting prospect than someone like Mitch Keller, um, who's nowhere near those strikeout rates. And, and that's really what you're looking for when you're looking at a minor league prospect. Like, can this guy strike guys out when he comes up into the major leagues? Because that's that's your indicator of dominance, you know. So um, my sense is that he probably will get called up in July. And if you can, you should stash him. Um, but, you know people were saying the same thing about Vlad and Eloy last year and we know what happened. So um, I don't want to make any promises. Yeah. They were also saying the same thing about Zach Gallon of the Marlins. And yet here we go. We just saw Yamamoto today and they called up uh, Elias or Hernandez yesterday. And Don Baddenley's out there today saying he's not close enough yet. He still has to keep working in the minors. So you never know what these teams are going to do, like you said, but yeah, the White Sox do have something to play for unlike the Marlins. So it, there, there, there could be something sooner or later. So I'm with you there. That Cease is a very, very good young arm, and that division's bad. So he could have some nice matchups there as yep. well. Um, all right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about uh, your new, I guess, metric. Is that the right term I can use with that? Yeah, I never know because when you write yeah. an article, you don't want to say stat because it's not a real word. So I use metric, but when we talk about it, we can use stat, whatever you want. Okay, cool. Because, yeah, I, I've had a bunch of different people. There's been a lot of cool new stats and metrics that have come out this year. So it's been fun chatting about them on the show and kind of getting a more brought out kind of discussion about it so listeners can kind of have an idea. Because I know myself, I I need things put layman terms, and then I can develop the deeper terms behind them. And right. you, you wrote it very layman, so I, I, I can understand a lot of it. But, you know, some articles, you know what I'm saying, you start reading it and, you know, three paragraphs in, I'm like, I'm turned off because I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> like, I'm done. I guess this is going to work. This might be a great stat, but not happening. So what you developed and you uh, you put together is PHR. Why don't you let everybody know what PHR stands for and um, what what you wanted to accomplish with this? Sure. So it's predicted home runs. Um the idea is to identify hitters who have either been lucky or have earned their current home run totals by comparing their PHR total to their actual home run total. Um, and so the way that we developed this stat or metric or whatever um, was to run uh, multi-linear regressions. Um, basically, we just downloaded a ton of data uh, from Fangraphs and Baseball Savant 
anything that we thought might be relevant to hitting. And then we ran it against home run per plate appearance over the last four years because StatCast data only goes back to 2015. Um, And then the things that were uh, correlated, uh, we kept in the formula and we obviously controlled for different things. Like we made sure that there was no um, overlapping, it's called collinearity or multi-collinearity between the variables. And we, we, you know, we controlled for different things like that. Um, We made sure that um, the variables weren't just adding predictive power based on chance. We controlled for that. Um, And in the end, we came out with six things that uh, work well together to, uh, based on what happened to the entire sample of players, predict what home runs should happen to any given player. So like, um, Barrels per plate appearance is something it, it was by far the most important um, variable that what that goes into the model um, because there's a really high correlation between barrels per plate appearance and home run per plate appearance. And so uh, we took that and then we added onto it with other variables. And then those are the things that are that most hitters in that time, time period demonstrated um, in association with high home run totals. Um, and so we can extrapolate based on those things what we think that an individual player in this year should have in terms of a home run total. Um, I'll stop there and yeah. you let um, me know if you think that makes sense. Yeah, no, the, the barrels per plate appearance makes a ton of sense. As we've talked about barrels on the show many times and how that produces great contact, good um, you know, hit upside, extra base upside, so on and so forth. Pulled fly balls and line drive percentage makes a ton of sense as well. Um, this is... I'm pretty sure I understand where you're going with this, but you had the barrels, the plate appearances, the pulled fly balls, the line drive percentage, but then you also threw in K percentage and walk percentage. In my opinion, you, you put K and walk because if you're striking out, you're obviously not putting the ball in play. If you're walking, you're not putting the ball in play. Is that kind of where you went with that? Is that what the point of those two were? So I didn't want to go in with any assumptions, like certain things would help and or wouldn't help. And I just downloaded that data, the strikeout and walk data and added it to the regression and saw like determined whether it was uh, correlated to home run per plate appearance. And I think your, your assumptions are correct that it's because players who strike out more are giving themselves fewer opportunities to hit home runs. And the same thing goes for players who walk more. So like a good example of that is Mookie Betts where he was captured by um PHR is being unlucky thus far um, because even though his barrel per plate appearance is good, but not excellent. And his pulled fly ball and line drive rate, which is also highly correlated with home runs is good, but not excellent. He like never strikes out. And so he gives him, and he also bats first in the lineup. So plate appearances themselves was another one of the variables. So he gives himself a ton of opportunity to hit home runs. Um, Therefore, I mean, he's been kind of unlucky to date. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Um, so you developed PHR first off, is this available on the site as just like a spreadsheet, like CSW that, um, Alex has developed, or is that still in the work? Something like that. So, yeah. So if you go to my Twitter, it's at D Richards PL, uh, you can find it. It's on the pin tweet. I linked it to, um, in that tweet, there's a link to both the article in which, uh, we, talk about and describe and explain PHR. And then also there's a link to uh, the Tableau link uh, where you can find all hitters PHR totals going back to 2015 um, in any given season. And also they're right next to their home run totals. um, So you can compare, you know, whether a guy has been lucky or unlucky. Very, very nice. Um, If you were someone new to looking at this, as I have it pulled up now, you have it in alphabetical order, which makes it easy to find someone. Um, do you uh, – I need to actually do it between home runs. And, oh, this is beautiful. Um, how would you recommend someone goes about using this when it comes to, like, a fantasy team? Like, you know, people use X stats on Baseball Savant to say this guy's been unlucky or this guy's about to break out, stuff along those lines. And I'm, I'm, I, this is a predictive metric similar to an X stat, like I believe, as you, as you were saying. How would you go about utilizing this tool by itself or with other tools? So two two notes. The first is that PHR um, is a little better than home runs themselves at predicting future home runs, but it's not much better in and of itself, but it's much more stable. And so, you know, you're more, it's more likely from one season to be similar to the next season. Um, 
And then the other thing is that I think you can just pretty easily check the work that goes into PHR um, if you don't feel comfortable just using it right away. So I like that you brought up um, X stats on Baseball Savant. Um, Think about X batting average, which is just basically um, launch angle and uh, exit velocity and how how a person's batting average should be based on all of their balls and plays, launch angle and batting average and launch angle and exit velocity. This is like the same thing. It's how many home runs should they have based on their barrels per plate appearance, strikeout percentage, plate appearances, et cetera. So if there's a huge discrepancy between a hitter's actual home run total and their predicted home run total, you can look to see, well, is his barrel rate like really low? Maybe he shouldn't have hit all these home runs or, or wow, he's pulling a lot of fly balls and line drives. Like I'm not surprised that he is hitting this many home runs or he should be hitting more home runs. Um, so you can just go to the Tableau link and then make your own comparisons. But, you know, I always recommend using any stat in the context of others. Okay, perfect. That, that's, that's, that's what I was looking for. Cause you know, I got Christian Yellick showing 25 home runs, but his PHR is 16.4. So this will probably be the wrong terminology, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying here. So in theory, he's been lucky, like on maybe eight of the, or eight to nine of the home runs. Is that kind of what we're thinking? Like he should have only had about 16 and a half. But he has 25. So if we look at his overall, you know, we know his hard hit rate's crazy. We know his barrel rate's crazy. He's pulling the ball like crazy. And that's probably what factored in the difference there. Is that how we're looking at it in that angle? I guess what I would say is like the it's not that on those seven or eight, you know, or I'm sorry, eight or nine instances, he didn't like earn it. He didn't hit the ball hard. He didn't hit it out of the park. But given what he's doing overall on the season, um, it's not likely that he would have hit home runs in the few amount of opportunities that he's barreling up the ball or in the few amount of opportunities that he's pulling fly balls and line drives. And that's not to say that he doesn't have elite marks in those rates, like 16 predicted home runs would still be like top. Yeah. Like top 15 or top 20 out of all predicted home runs um, for any player this season. But um, it just means that maybe he's, he's hit a few more fly balls hard uh, than someone else would have on average in the last four years, given the amount of fly balls that they, that he has hit. Okay. Like you have the guys like Josh Bell, you know, he's hit 18 homers. His PHR is 17.8. You got Cattell Marte, 17 homers, PHR 17.1. These are two very popular names around the fantasy industry. And some people have been on board and they love the hot runs. Some people are saying, oh, there's no way this can continue. But looking at this metric and again, in context, what I'm what I'm seeing here is they pretty much are doing what we expect them to do. Am I, am I right with that? Yeah, I mean it's it's nice to it's a good confirmatory measure too. Like we're Perfect. looking and and we we feel that those guys are doing things differently this year and they're really hitting the ball hard and hitting home runs and you know have they earned it? Well, PHR thinks they have at least. So if I were to go check at their barrels per plate appearance, I would guess that they're both pretty high. Um, I think Josh Bell is like top ten. And if I had to look and see if they were pulling a lot of fly balls, I'd guess that if they didn't have a high barrels per plate appearance, that they probably were pulling a lot of fly balls because they have to be doing something to earn those predicted home runs. And those are really, you know, barreling up the ball and then pulling fly balls to the short fences and right and left field are pretty much the only way to hit home runs. For sure. Uh, in your article, and I'm looking on this as well, you have some guys like Alberto Mondesi. He's only has six home runs on the year, but his PHR is 12.4. There's a few other guys along the metrics there that are kind of maybe underperforming. If you're breaking this down, um, would this be like a sign, like a buy low thing? Or again, is it you need to do more research before you just kind of assume these things? Yeah, definitely, definitely look at it in the context of the variables that are that go into it and everything else. Like, obviously, we're just talking about power. So you want to look at a guy's stolen base prowess and batting average and all those things. But um, like, I, I'm glad that you brought up um, – Mondesi in particular, because he's someone that plays in a big ballpark. And we were, you know, I thought about how to maybe do this, like to control for home ballpark, but it's difficult because you have to like multiply by a dummy variable or and guys switch teams and it's not exactly ideal. Um, so as of right now, the way that PHR stands it does not control for home ballpark. So somebody like Mondesi is going to get shortchanged by um, in other, in other words, he's going to underperform his PHR perennially. Like Brandon belt will always underperform his PHR. Um, And that's just something you have to consider. Like PHR does not 
know that McCovey Cove is really far out and that it's impossible for Belt to hit home runs. Um, so if those guys at the top of the underperforming list, like their home runs are well below their PHR, are playing in really bad ballparks, maybe factor that in, maybe don't buy low. But otherwise, like I think it's it's at least an indication of a buy low. Yeah. I think what it's good for is it, it opens your eyes to digging in more on players. That's yes. how that's how I look at it. Because it's like I said with, you know, the 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 Bells of the world and, and the Martes, it's kind of more of a justification. Like, okay, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's good. Now if one guy's overachieving, like you have Derek Dietrich, who you mentioned at 17 home runs, but his PHR now is eleven point five. Now you might want to go, okay. And I know you guys have wrote a, a going deep article and many others have that this is kind of legit with him. It's just one of those weird things. I came in Tommy Lestella, those guys are they're doing it. Lestella's another guy, 15 home runs and 8.3 PHR. If you're looking at stuff like that, obviously we keep saying it, go look at other metrics, but how would you approach those kind of players that are kind of overachieving? Yeah, like in the same way. Like first I would think about the ballpark because I like like again, the the formula doesn't account for it. So guy like Dietrich is always going to overperform PHR because Great, Amer- Great American Ballpark is really small. And so he's going to hit more home runs than PHR says he should based on his barrel rate and his pulled fly ball and line drive rate, his plate appearances, his line drive rate, his strikeout rate, and his walk rate. Um, Tommy List- which are the six metrics that go into it. Tommy Listella is sort of unique in that, like, it's not a ballpark issue. He probably just is overperforming, but part of it has to do with the fact that they lowered the wall in right field in uh, Coffin Stadium. So maybe he's taking advantage of that. And again, PHR would not know that. Um, I'm not saying it's not useful. I do think that, you know, it's possible that maybe he should have, instead of 8.5 PHR, maybe he should have 10, you know, if you count in the wall, but he's still overperforming. Um, and I don't think that he's going to keep that up. If you go to the StatCast leaderboard and you look up Tommy Listella, he's really far down. He does not hit the ball very hard. And so he really, like a player with those attributes would not on average hit this many home runs. That's pretty much what PHR is telling you. Perfect. That's why I wanted to keep asking kind of the simple questions to open up the discussion to see like kind of where we're going with this. Because I know myself, if I was being lazy and other people's would, people would too, they just look at this and go, okay, he's overachieving. Or something like that, and just just kind of move on because the idea behind this is really really cool. Uh, I think if anything, it's more of a justification and another aid to help you. Because I love baseball savant next stats to kind of point in certain directions, and I love the uh, the, the you know launch angles and the the hard hit rates and, and all that kind of stuff. I right. love that kind of stuff. So if I can incorporate this with that, I think that really really helps with uh, hitter development. Is there going to be a twist on this, or maybe there is, and I've missed it? that kind of refers to pitchers like that have given up home runs and what their PHR can be. It's a good thought. I mean, there's no reason why we can't download the same data for pitchers. I'm actually going to move in the direction of other metrics for hitters. Like I was thinking P Babbitt. Oh yeah, no, I'm not uh, saying you need to do it. I'm just saying like in general, yeah. is, there a, is there a mix? Definitely like keeping it on the brain and as many of these stats we can make. I mean, ever since Andrew Perpetua took down xstats.org, there's been sort of a void in the fantasy baseball community. You know, how do we determine whether players have been lucky or not? We're back to going to fan graphs, player pages and looking at their fly ball rates. And, you know, it's not ideal. So maybe if there's more of a one-stop shop and we can create all of those things, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, as we wrap up this discussion on predictive home runs, where do you want to take this stat next? I know you said you're going to do predictive batting average and stuff like that. Where do you want to take this? Like, what do you want to ultimately have this stat be? Or, or are you already there? Because it's already really good to me. But do you have like a, a final plan for this? Um, I'd like to get it in some kind of database where it's not just linked to my own, you know, Tableau, um, because people don't there's not as much traffic to it and it's not going to be used as much that way unless it's, it's on something like a fan graphs or it's on something like a baseball savant. So, um, you know, maybe pitcher list does that and we come up with our own kind of um, landing pages with for players and, and these P stats. I mean, that, I think that'd be really cool. Um, in terms of the stat itself, I think, I think it could use, you know, a little fine tuning, like it'd be nice to incorporate ballparks and, 
uh, home ballparks. And, um, you know, I think it probably needs a little more testing too, in terms of stability and predictiveness, but uh, I feel good about it overall. And I, I do feel that, you know, plugging in players, barrels uh, per plate appearance makes sense. And it, and the correlations were very high and we, we checked a lot of different things to make sure we weren't screwing up. So I feel pretty confident employing it as it is right now. Well, awesome. It's a, it's a really cool new metric that's out there, new stat that's out there. I look forward to using it as I kind of use more uh, analysis. And I think what you mentioned there, I think that's where you guys need to go is that you guys at Pitch List are developing a lot of cool new metrics. There's got to be a way to incorporate that to the site. I think that's a really, and I'm obviously site stuff is not my forte. I know the little bit I know about my site, it's very difficult because I'm not <laughs> computer smart. So I can only imagine what having to put a whole thing like that of all player database would be, but I think that'd be pretty darn awesome. I think that's a good yeah. way to go about it. If anyone can do it, it's Nick Pollock. He's the man. Exactly. So. I'm with you hundred percent there. So yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see where this is in another you know few months or whatever. And we'll talk again. Cause I, I, I do like the metric quite a bit. I want to keep seeing how the, uh, how it flows, if, if that makes sense, to kind of see how it keeps going throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's talk about some hot performances. I didn't really put any negative guys, which is kind of nice. It's not, it's not always fun being negative, but uh, <laughs> it, can be a, it, can be, it can be a by low angle, I guess. But as I was just making a list, I'm like, I don't want to put 40 guys on the paper. I want to put a couple of hitters, a couple of pitchers, and we'll move on with our day. And so a couple of guys have been really playing well of late. We'll start off with Jacoby Jones of the Detroit Tigers. And we can go back for the whole year, but I was just going back for like the last two weeks or so. He's been really, really playing well and um, flexing his muscle for the Tigers. He's hitting leadoff tonight. Do you have any thoughts overall on uh, Jacoby Jones for the Tigers? He's been picked up a little bit last week in leagues. I think he'll be a little more popular this week. If he hits leadoff, that's more interesting. Like, he's been hitting ninth, and and that really, you know, hitting ninth in a lineup that's not going to turn the lineup over four times is – is not great uh, in terms of counting stats, especially a bad team. Um, so he's not even going to get driven in much or, or uh, drive in other guys much, but you know, he runs a bit, which is great. You know, six stolen bases and 186 plate appearances, uh, 13 in 467 last year suggests maybe he won't steal as much as he's been this year. So maybe he gets like 10 more if he, especially if he's leading off, like, you know, he could reasonably end up at 16 stolen bases and that, and that's helpful. Um, especially in a traditional like five by five categories league. Um, yeah. Term, in terms of uh, power, he hits the ball like surprisingly hard. Ninety five mile an hour exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. Fifty percent hard hit rate. Twelve point four percent barrel per uh, batted ball event rate. Like that's those are good numbers. And and I mentioned exit velocity on fly balls and line drives and barrels per batted ball event because we've run correlations and we've tested those two metrics and they barrels per Batted ball event is the most highly correlated with home run for fly per fly ball. So that's a guy who's hitting the ball really hard and his fly ball fly balls are likely to leave the yard and exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is how a guy, if his barrel rate is low, can improve on his barrel rate. So those are two really important metrics um, and he's good in both of them. And he pulls a lot of fly balls. Um, you know, it's possible he gets to 25 home runs if he's leading off. Um, maybe, 20 is more realistic, um, but he's striking out a lot, um, and that's always going to be a problem. So, you know, you can't really strike out 30% of the time and and hit 255 or whatever he's hitting, 257. So, um, you know, his BABIP's really high. It's probably going to fall, uh, given it was around 280 the last two years. So maybe he's more like a 240, 245 hitter uh, with 15 stolen base and 2025 home run upside. That's still usable. That's like, that's like, Last year, Tim Anderson. Yep. No, I like I like that quite a bit. That's a good comp right there. Is you know, batting averages in general aren't that great these days with the new you know three true outcomes and everything. But if you can get a guy that can give you fifteen plus stolen bases to go with some power, that goes a long, long ways because it's hard to find stolen bases these days. So I think there's a lot to like here, unless he just goes completely south. Detroit's got nothing to lose to keep playing the kid. So. Uh, that that should help quite a bit. And I, I, I'm intrigued by him. I grabbed him in TGFBI this last week for pretty cheap just to get a flyer on him. I think he's going to be interesting going forward. Uh, the veteran, Brian Dozier. It was been a, it was a rough year or so for Dozier, but he's really got it going of late. Over the last two weeks, hitting 351 with a 464 Woba. He has three home runs. He's striking out less than 17% of the time, and he's starting to mash lefties again the way we remember Brian Dozier mashing lefties. 
this is pretty good because there was a point in the season where Carter Keeboom gets the call, and we thought Dozier's days were done. Now Dozier's playing and playing well. It's going to be tough to get him out of the lineup. What's your thoughts on Brian Dozier? Yeah, I, it's funny. He's like the oldest 32-year-old ever. I don't know how he's only 32 <laughs> years old. Um, so true. But maybe maybe his down season last year was just because he really was playing through that bone bruise that he claimed he was. Um, and maybe he's just healthy now because a lot of his stats are lining up with what 2017 and 2016 looked like, not to the same degree, but a little bit closer. So like his BABIP is up at 279 and it was sitting around 270 for the years before last year, whereas it was 240 last year. And there was no real obvious reason why, like he all those years pulled a lot of fly balls. So he's always going to have a low BABIP, but there was no reason why it should dip to 240. So I buy the 240 average. I don't think he's a 215 hitter. I don't think he's a 270 hitter either, though. So I think he's probably where he should be. Um, and he's back to pulling those fly balls like always. His, his 53% pull rate is the seventh best in the league. His 46% fly ball rate is the 16th highest in the league. And that's how he makes his hay. His his raw power is just it's just okay. It's not bad. It's not good. It's 93 um, 0.5 miles an hour on fly balls and line drives and 7% barrel rate. So he needs to pull a lot of fly balls to reach those short fences and he's able to do it. So I see that 15% home run to fly ball rate. And I think that it's relatively sustainable given his approach at the plate. Um, and just for good measure, predicted home runs buys it too. So he's at 10 home runs on the season and 9.7 PHR. I just I was just looking that up as you're talking like yeah there we go it all correlates look at yeah. this so um, yeah no it's good to see it really is because it was rough everyone like most baseball fans you had to like Brian Dozer a little bit he's kind of a scrappy hard nosed ball player that played really good he was hitting thirty plus home runs in a body that most people never hit thirty plus home runs it was just fun to watch yeah and um, it's good it's good to see him back at it plus he helps your fantasy team out for those that took the gamble on him let's talk about another guy and this guy's a little older. Brian Dozier, but still he's only a year older. He's 33, and many thought his career was coming to an end, but Todd Frazier has been rejuvenated the last few weeks since coming off the IL, hitting 304, four home runs, striking out 14% of the time, Babbitt's below 300 still. This is weird because I thought J.D. Davis was going to take the job and run. He did not. Todd Frazier's playing really, really well. Do you have any takes on Todd Frazier, or is this just a streak you want nothing to do with? Yeah, I know you said you didn't want to get negative, but um, yeah, you can get I, negative if you want. I totally, I'm cool with it. Okay, I you know I really just don't buy what he's doing. Um, he was batting two thirteen each of the last two years, and now his batting average is up to two fifty four. So I thought, okay, maybe his plate discipline is better. Maybe he's hitting the ball differently, and that's why he's actually striking out a lot, just like he always does. Twenty three percent strikeout rate. His walk rate's not particularly good it's fine eight percent walk rate his swinging strike rate's the highest it's been in three years it's at 10.5 percent as is his o swing which is at 27.7 percent those are i mean those are fine but you know it's not like he should be batting any better than he was in the past he should be the exact same hitter and this year he's traded some fly balls for line drives but line drives are notoriously fickle and they don't uh stabilize quickly so he's probably more like the hitter he was the last two years even though He's looking a little bit different in terms of batted ball profile. And plus he's pulling the ball like 62% of the time, which if he qualified, which would be the most in major league baseball and pulling the ball is awful for Babbitt because you get shifted all the time and he's not like particularly fast. So, you know, I think the line drive rate probably regresses to what it was the last two years. I think his average, his Babbitt goes down, his average falls. And so that's the only real difference that I see. It's not like he's going crazy in power, he's only got six home runs. Um, his exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is really below average. It's under 90 miles an hour, and he has a 3% barrel rate. So, you know, that that really says it all right there. There's no way he's maintaining a 50, 15% home run to fly ball rate like Brian Dozier, even though he's hitting the ball a lot softer. Yeah, I've, I'm glad you said most of that because I every time I see Frazier, like, it's a home run or, or something good happens. I'm just wondering how, because like you said, you look at all those his advanced metrics and, you know, the swinging rate and the, the chase rates and all those things. You're just like, what in the heck is going on right now? So to me, it's just a streak. And I think when it all ends, we'll be back to where we thought Todd Fraser would be before it was all said and done. So 
I'm with you there. Like if you're in a super deep league and you need to ride them out for like a week or two, go for it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, you know, holding my breath that this is going to continue for too long. All right. Uh, his teammate though, this is interesting because he was a big prospect a couple years ago. Hadn't really got it going in the bigs, but really wasn't getting consistent playing time with all the Mets injuries. He's been playing in the outfield. He's been playing first base. Dominic Smith's been decent. I'm not going to say he's been great, but he's, you know, three home runs over the last two weeks, hitting 355. There seems to be some potential, also some weaknesses as well. What do you have on Dominic Smith? So I don't know if he's going to – do you know what's going to happen when Cano finishes his rehab assignment? Like I feel like that's going to cut into Smith's playing time somehow. Maybe uh, – Jeff McNeil moves back into the outfield or something. I that would make the out. most sense. That would make the most sense, yes. Yeah, so Cano started his rehab assignment like this week. So I doubt that Smith maintains an everyday role. Um, his plate discipline is okay. It's it's really not very good. 11% swinging strike rate, 32.4% O swing. So he's not going to maintain his very good walk-in strikeout rates. Both of those are going to get worse, um, which means his average and his OBP will drop. Um, and his 354 average seems pretty unsustainable given that A, his plate discipline isn't very good, and B, it's propped up by a 421 Babbitt. So if he's pulling the ball 40% of the time and he's not like a particularly fast lefty, he's basically going to be like Brian McCann or Kendris Morales, excuse me, and pull the ball into the shift a bunch and not be able to run it out. And that's sort of how I see him. Like he doesn't hit the ball very hard. 90, he'd be barely harder than Frazier, 91 miles an hour on fly balls and line drives and 6.6 barrels, uh, 6.6 barrels per batted ball event, which for context is like really bad. It's like bottom two thir- bottom third of the league. Um, and he doesn't even hit that many fly balls to make up for it. So, you know, um, I, I don't even think he's worth starting now, but he's definitely not going to be worth owning when Cano is back. Yep, I feel you there. So I wanted to discuss him because every every free agent pool you go to for a league right now, he's near the top. If you kind of narrow things down, not do the whole season stats, kind of see who's playing well, someone's going to try to grab him. And I wanted to discuss him for a minute because might not be the best of moves here pretty soon. Uh, let's go to Tampa Bay. G-Man Choi, the guy that's preventing, it feels like preventing Nate Lowe from playing in Tampa Bay. And he wasn't doing much to start the year, but he's picking it up of late. I'm not a big G-Man Choi believer, but right now what he's doing seems good. It's nice. He's hitting 357 with three home runs over the last two weeks. Is it sustainable? Are you buying this, um, Dan? Oh, man, if only 357 were sustainable, then I could just plug him <laughs> in and have the, the batting title. But I uh, – yeah, you know, he sits – so he sits against lefties, right? So he's already handicapping you there. Unless you're in a daily league, then that's good because you can just stick him in when um, – you know, when he's playing against the, his dominant hand um, is 93 exit velocity on fly balls and line drives is okay. It's slightly worse than Dozier for context uh, as is his 8.8 uh, barrels per batted ball percentage. So he has like decent raw power, but he doesn't hit very many fly balls. He hits 28% fly balls. It's mostly ground balls and line drives. Um, and that's supported by his 9.3 degree average launch angle. So a, he's got, you know, mediocre raw power and B he's not really elevating. So you're not, he's just not going to be this like big slugger um, despite what his size may pretend. Um, He actually might put up a nice average though. So he's, he's hitting 283 this year, which is up from the two sixties last year. And that 336 Babbitt might be a bit sustainable given that he's hitting a lot of fly, a lot of ground balls and line drives. Um, And he's got a pretty low swinging strike rate. Um, so he, he's got even room to improve on his 21% strikeout rate. Um, you know, maybe he's a 285 hitter and he hits like 20 home runs. That's, that's definitely usable in like a deeper league. Um, I don't know if he's worth owning in a standard 12 team mixed league, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. I've never been a big Troy owner, but uh, it's interesting to see what he's doing right now because they just don't seem to want to get rid of him. So especially in daily leagues, like you said, he's going to play, it seems like. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, last hitter we'll talk about is Scott Kingery of the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, they gave him the deal last year. Didn't really pan out for him. Started this year, got hurt. And since he's come back, he's played really, really well. Hitting 288 with five home runs. Nine total extra base hits over the last two weeks. 
lot to like about what Kingery's doing, but he's still striking out quite a bit, not walking much. Uh, what's your thoughts on Scott Kingery? And by the way, Yamamoto is now through six, and they're letting him bat. So it looks like he's going seven, and he hasn't given yeah. up a run. Yeah, he's been really good against a good Cardinals lineup. Can make uh, things interesting this weekend. Yeah. I I mean, personally, they definitely shouldn't be starting Jose Urania, but yeah. uh, that's not my call. So I think they're going to want to start him to try to trade him for anything they can get. They, yeah, they should trade him. I, I don't know. I mean, the stuff is there. Like, there was like 100 miles an hour. But yeah. um, sorry, that's totally sidetracking this no, discussion. About I do that Scott very Kingery. well on this show. So no worries with that at all. Um, Scott Kingery is really interesting. I, I don't know exactly what to make of him. He hits the ball pretty hard, 94.3 on fly balls and line drives. Uh, his 10% barrel rate uh, is the second best of all the players that we've talked about behind Jacoby Jones. It's about three times as good as Todd Frazier. Um so that supports some power breakout, and he's hit seven home runs and not very many uh, plate appearances. Um, but it doesn't really support the 24% home run to fly ball rate. Um, so if you look at the Stackhouse leaderboard, he's 111th overall if you sort it by barrels per batted ball event. 24% home run to fly ball rate is something you'd see out of like, you know, Gary Sanchez or Kyle Schwarber, or somebody who hits the ball really hard. Um, Hunter Renfro. So, you know... Could he hit 15 or 20 homers total on the season? Sure, and he's already got seven in the bank. But I don't, I don't think he's like all of a sudden this remastered power hitter. And PHR doesn't buy it either. It's only got him pegged for 4.7, um, which is fine, but it's not seven. It's a, it's a lot less. So, you know, it's nice that he steals some bags. He could steal 10 to 15 total. Um, but I would really preach caution, like. He's got a 384 BABIP right now. That's like a hundred points higher than the 291 mark he posted last year. Um, and that mark had 480 plate appearances to stabilize. Whereas this year we're at like a hundred um, and his 14% swinging strike rate means that he's actually probably been lucky with his really bad 24% strikeout rate and his 4% walk rate is bad too. So it makes me think he's like a guest hitter, um, you know, without, with some raw power, but not a ton. And um, is with a really elevated BABIP, like I, I think he's got some tools, but I also think this could come crashing down really quickly. Sell Scott Kingery. There's your answer, folks. Um, let's talk about a few pitchers here. Freddie Peralta, one of the more tilting pitchers in baseball. Doesn't help when he throws his fastball almost every time he throws, but it's like all or nothing with this guy. Doesn't go deep into games. Strikeouts are there at times. So are giving up a lot of hard contact. You can be as negative or as positive as you want here. What are your thoughts on Freddie Peralta from a fantasy baseball standpoint? So Nick has a great word at pitcher list for pitchers like this. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, he calls them cherry bombs. If you ever listen to Nick's podcast, you know it right away. Um, It's something that's super sweet one minute and blows up in your face the next. Um, And the reason, like you were saying, is that he has one pitch. He throws 80% fastballs, which is ridiculous. ridiculous. He might be the only only starting pitcher in baseball that does that. I mean, he's not Mariano Rivera, so he's not going to get away with that. Um, With that nasty. Wait, real quick. Real quick. That's why I've always said when they had their issues in Milwaukee, put Peralta in the back of the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. He could be a nice bullpen piece. He throws very hard. Um, He's got two pitches. One is dominant. I mean, kind of like Michael Pineda. These, these two guys need to be in the bullpen, but that's an aside. Um, the problem is that if he doesn't have perfect feel for that fastball, he's just going to throw it down the middle and get smacked around. And he has no out pitches, so he's living in the zone. So he gets beat up a lot. It's not like 10 walks. It's like 10 hits in certain outings. And so that's why he's got – he doesn't even have that many starts. There's like eight starts this year, but he has three games of six earned runs or more and then three games of one and run or less. Cause in those games he had nice feel for his fastball. So, I mean, I think that you can, if you, if you want to pick him up and play matchups, like you can do that, you're definitely playing with fire. Um, but I definitely wouldn't start him against the best lineups in baseball. Yeah. That's what's so tilting about him. Cause you know, when he's on and the fastball's working and you got a good matchup, he's so good, but man, when it's bad, it goes bad in a big, big way. So be very, very careful with Freddie Peralta. And hopefully they decide to do something else with him besides start him every game. Uh, let's talk Nick Pavetta. This was one of the draft day. Um, everybody was hyped on him, the helium. And it started out really bad this year. Went to the minor leagues. He's back. His first start back was okay. Five innings, three earned against the Cardinals. 
But then he goes six shutout with nine Ks against the Dodgers in L.A. And then nine innings of one earned, six Ks against Cincinnati. And almost more important or impressive to me than, you know, just the overall starts, no walks in either of those last two starts. Over those three starts, a 1-8 ERA and a 2-8-5 XFIP, are you buying in that Nick Pavetta has figured it out? I'm not, I mean, oh buying in i'm definitely optimistic based on the two most recent starts i it's tough it's really tough to trust him i he's not the kind of guy that would ever be he's very similar to freddie peralta he's not gonna walk the lineup um he is a cherry bomb um he's gonna live in the zone and he's gonna get punished and so you know even if he's gone nine strikeouts and no walks that's sort of what i expected him to do on a good night and then on a bad night I'd expect nine strikeouts and five earned runs and no walks. It's sort of the same thing. So, you know, the reason why people are hyped on him is because he's got that nasty curveball, which is fun to watch. And he's not Freddie Peralta. He's got three pitches, um, two out pitches. So if he's not feeling one, he can go to the other. Um, and that curveball last year was a really good pitch. It was a 5.2 P-Bell. Um, it was a money pitch, which is a Nick Paul, another Nick Pollock term. I apologize. Um, no 42%. 42% O swing, 44% zone rate, 15.7% swinging strike rate. So he can throw it for strikes. He can throw it and get chases off the plate and he can throw it and get whiffs on the plate. And he's got a good slider and he throws his fastball 94 miles an hour. So these are all reasons to like Nick Pavetta. The real problem I think is in his head and that he just doesn't have excellent command. And I'm not sure if he ever will. Um, I think he just sort of like gets jittery a little bit and then misses and, hangs something right over the middle of the plate and he can be lights out one star and he can be terrible the next. And you don't really know what you're going to get. So hopefully he's getting more confident and figuring it out um, because I think it's not a matter of stuff. I think it's more a matter of nerves. Yeah. It's really interesting with him to say the least, but uh, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of people really hype training him up here the next few weeks. So it'll be fun to see where that all goes. Uh, let's talk Brad Keller, not a flashy name at all. I get it. People might just already turn the podcast off. I understand. What I want to bring him up for is it's not pretty, but six or more innings and four straight starts, three runs or less than two of those. And for those that play in leagues like it, those are quality starts. It's not sexy by any means. He keeps the ball in the ballpark, doesn't strike a lot of guys out. Is there any fantasy appeal to a Brad Keller, maybe a streaming option, or is there something more to what he's doing right now? I think you hit the nail on the head where his value lies in something like a quality starts league where he can go deep and, you know, you don't, if you don't really need the strikeouts, maybe he can give you that six inning, that very poor quality start, you know, six innings pitched, three earned runs, two strikeouts and like 10 hits or something, you know, like that feels like what he can do at his best, it, which is what happened in these last two outings against the White Sox um, and even more impressive, impressively in Arlington. Um, but in that White Sox start, his BABIP was 174. And on the season, his Sierra is 538, and his FIP and XFIP are both over four. So maybe he maintains that 4.3 ERA, 4.3 ERA, excuse me, but it's it's not going to get much better than that. And he, that's even with some luck. You know, he, he gives up a lot of ground balls, and that's one way to pitch. But if you are giving up a lot of ground balls, um, you're likely to have a higher BABIP because ground balls fall in for hits more often than fly balls do. And so the 276 Babbitt that he has on the season, to me, seems lucky given the amount of ground balls that he gives up. And at the end of the day, it's really hard to be effective with a 6K per nine and a 4.5 walk per nine. I mean, those are bad numbers. So, you know, if you want to stream him on occasion, you can. I, I don't recommend owning him, though. Yeah, I think streaming is very, very much an option with him for the fact that uh, in the division, we talked about with a few other options. That AL Central is just so bad. Like outside of Minnesota, who's a juggernaut, the division's bad. So that's yeah. a, that's a lot of good starts you'll have there. A lot of good options. So I just want to bring them up because that's kind of the point of these kind of guys that are playing well. Maybe you know give them a deeper look because there's more to it than just you. It's Brad Keller and he's got a you know four something ERA and there's more to what he's doing that might help your fantasy team out when you're playing with injuries and whatnot. Um, Wade Miley somehow is barely owned in leagues right now. Fan, or, uh, Fantasy pros, it's like around 30% or less of most leagues own Wade Miley right now, which is crazy to me because, A, he plays on the Astros, so his win equity is pretty high. And he's just pumping pumping quality starts after quality starts. 
He's racking up strikeouts. He's pitching well. Um, do you have any anything to tell me? I'm I'm, I'm missing something, or is, is Wade Miley really doing this? Yeah, I think you're right in terms of wins. Like he definitely should be more owned just for that alone. Like he could get like 14, 15 wins on that team. Um, the the thing is, like in the last four starts, he's been really good. Um, eight strikeouts and in six innings pitched. Nine strikeouts and seven. Six and five and five and six. I mean, those are those are higher strikeout rates than Wade Miley has ever posted in his career. And so here's the thing, like the peripherals on the year suggest regression, 434 Sierra, 415 XFIP, 429 FIP do not support a 314 ERA. And the reason is that those metrics are all based heavily on strikeout rate and walk rate. And so if his strikeout rate is low, it's 20%, which is below league average, then he's not going to have great peripherals. Um, that said, if he's a different guy based on the last four starts than he has been up to that point, maybe some Astros magic, I don't know, um, then he's definitely, definitely better than those peripherals. Um, he might be like a 3-5 ERA guy. But if he is just sort of what they say he is and there's nothing different, it's just been sort of a matter of coincidence in the last four starts – then, you know, that 84% strand rate is really high and that 265 BABIP is really low and he's probably outperforming a little bit. Either way, he's worth owning given the win potential, but, you know, it, he it's like a tale of two pitchers. I really don't know what he's doing differently to get those strikeouts. Yeah, I, I totally feel you there. So I just wanted to bring his name up because I'm just amazed at how low owned he is and he's actually getting the job done for the most part. Uh, last guy I want to talk about is Robbie Ray. Ultra tilting Robbie Ray. Loves to walk, guys. Over his last eight starts, he has four. He's four and two. He has 13K per nine, but a four walk per nine. 307 ERA, 305X FIP. He's only given up over uh, two runs twice along the way there. Things point to Robbie Ray. It's over 6Ks and eight straight starts. Like The stuff is good, but can be tilting at times. What's your take on Robbie Ray right now? Is it... Like, do you just spot start him or you just run him out there kind of most of the time? Yeah, I think you got to start him if you own him because you never know what he's going to do. Like, he he went off against the Dodgers of all teams. And Dodgers might have the best lineup in baseball um, with a 39% CSW in one of those starts and 20, 20 whiffs. That's a lot. Um, nine strikeouts against the Dodgers. Not a very whiff-happy team. Um, he's had some bad BABIP luck this season. He's at a 328 BABIP, but he does pitch to a lot of hard contact. So it's possible that there's a reason his BABIP is elevated over the league average. Um, I think you kind of just got to roll with it. And he is who he is at this point. He's going to give up a lot of hits, get a lot of strikeouts and walk a lot of guys. And that's, it's weird, but like he does ever, like he literally puts up numbers in every single line, which is why he, he always has a really high whip and a really high strikeout rate. Like his, his strikeout rate now, 31%, that's elite. And we don't think about Robbie Ray as one of the like five best pitchers in baseball, but it's that's a lot. For example, that's that's probably, I'm just guessing, that's probably higher than Hyunjin Ryu's strikeout rate, um, who's considered to be arguably the best pitcher this year so far. So um, I, I just think that you roll with it and like, he may, he might get better. He might just sort of be who he is at this point, though. And you, you know what you're expecting. Ratios are a little iffy, but you're going to get the strikeouts and you'll get some wins along the way. Let me see. I pulled up K percentage. Ryu is third right now. Or no, that's not fact. That's um, XFIP numbers. Let's look K percentage here. We got Robbie Ray is sixth in baseball at 31%. Yeah, Ryu's at 24%. The only guys above Ray is Caleb Smith, Max Scherzer, Blake Snell, Chris Sale, and Garrett Cole. Pretty good company. Yeah, really good company. Yeah, not too shabby there. But yeah, I'm with you. He's he's just that tilting guy because he can he can pitch like an ace or he can get pitch like Freddie Peralta. So it's just it's just very very tilting. But more ace than Freddie Peralta is what is the good thing with him. Yes, um, I agree with but, you. Yeah, but that'll wrap us up on this episode, Dan. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, getting to, to talk to you for the first time and uh, talk about PHR and much much more. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and what you got coming up over at PitcherList? Yeah, you can find me, uh, my stuff. I only write for PitcherList, so all my stuff is there. You can also find me on Twitter at DRichardsPL. I shamelessly plugged myself earlier in the show, but um, I do really appreciate you having me on, Bubba, and um, hopefully we do it again soon.
yeah, we'll definitely do it again. I, I really like getting to know more and more people. There's tons of people in the industry between the TGFBI kind of introduced me to so many guys. And just the more I get to know kind of the runners of websites, now I get to know the writers of the websites. And I have a, a lot of fun chatting with everybody because there's a ton of knowledge out there that not everybody knows about, which is weird. So um, I like to have people on to spread the word. And I appreciate you jumping on. So we will definitely do it again sometime. And Yamamoto is one out away from seven shutouts. So I'm just throwing that out there right now. But um, yeah, yeah I got you a good evening. And I appreciate you joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks, Bubba. You too, man. All right, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 179 with Dan Richards from Pitcher List, talking predicted home runs and much, much more. Catch you guys later.